welcome to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast, where we discuss all things money, because whether or not we like it, money matters. Today, I wanted to share with you an interview I did with financial planner Kim Porkita for the launch of her new book, Midlife Money Makeover. In this interview, we discussed our relationship with money and how our money mindset and those money stories we grew up with either help or sabotage our finances. The interview opened with an introduction from Chip Conley, who runs the Modern Elder Academy in the US, which I must tell you is an interesting concept in itself. So if you think it is time to review your relationship with money, this podcast is for you. Hello, everybody. I'm coming to you from Mexico, uh, which is where I met Kim Potgeiter. Um, man, anybody who actually can, who would fly from South Africa to Baja California Sur in Mexico to experience the Modern Elder Academy is a friend for life. And I love Kim. I love her wisdom, especially around the finances in our life. But not just the finances, but how does how does money give you freedom or how does it take it away? These are, these are the kinds of questions uh, Kim and I got to speak about here at the Modern Elder Academy, also known as MEA, the world's first midlife wisdom school. Um, I just want to tell you, I love Kim's new book. Uh, the idea of the midlife money makeover. I, I like it partly because my specialty is focusing on midlife. Um, how do we make midlife and beyond the best years of our lives? Um, so the society uh, paradigm sort of suggests that once you hit about 45, it's all downhill from there. That may be true of your body to some degree, although it doesn't have to be. It's certainly not true of your heart, your soul, and maybe even your emotional intelligence. So what I love about Kim's book is, and I really do believe it's well-suited not for way beyond South Africa to the broader worldwide market, because she really speaks to, you know, how do you invest in yourself? How do you invest in time and in what it is that brings you passion and purpose in your life? And yes, how do you invest your money as well? Uh, most financial investors get very, investors and advisors get very fixated on the money piece. Um, in fact, one of the questions we like to ask here at MEA is the following. If you and money went to therapy together because you have a lifelong relationship and you do, um, what would money say about you and what would you say about money? <laughs> that's provocative. Kim loves that. And I think that's the kind of thinking that went into this beautiful book she's written. The reality is we all have a relationship with money. Um, and the script we have often was inherited. We got it from our parents. Um, but it's pretty unconscious what that script is. And what I love about Kim's work is that she really helps us to see that our relationship with money is lifelong. It actually can bring freedom as opposed to take it away. Um, and money is just a currency. It's something that actually helps us to get to something else. Money in itself is, is somewhat worthless. It's just paper um, or coins. So what I am here to do is to endorse heartily Kim's new book, uh, The Midlife Money Makeover. I hope you'll go out and get it as soon as possible. I think it'll probably be one of the more valuable books in your life because actually it's something that will be valuable at any age in your life. It doesn't just have to be midlife. It could be younger life. It could be later life. I hope you'll come visit us here in Mexico at the Modern Elder Academy. And uh, I wish you all the best in South Africa. Welcome to the launch of the Midlife Money Makeover with Ken Portkita. Um, I am Maya Fisher-French, a personal finance journalist, and it's a really great honor for me to be able to uh, interview Kim this evening and to help uh, Kim bring this book out for you guys. Now, if the introduction video was anything to go by, you will understand that this book is not about money. In fact, money is the afterthought. It is about your life. How do you want to live your life? And then how do you use your finances to achieve that? So I want to introduce you to Kim. Welcome, Kim. For those people out there who do not know who Kim, how did, how did Chip say it? Uh, put Geiter, who put Kim Put Geiter is. Um, Kim Kim let me just introduce you, Kim, because I think your experience and your qualifications explain so well the difference between this and most money books. So Kim is not only a certified financial planner, she has a degree in both industrial and clinical psychology. She is a professional certified coach. 
a certified Dare to Lead facilitator, and a new Money Story mentor, mentor coach. So, Kim, welcome. And I want you to start off just by contextualizing Chip Connolly and that video clip, because I think for me, this idea of your money story, your money mindset is, is really the powerful message behind your book. Thanks, Maya. Um, and thank you to all of you for joining me to, tonight just to celebrate the book and to be able to give it this good liftoff out into the world and hope it's going to just touch many, many people's lives. But yes, Maya, I mean, where, where does it all start? And it really starts probably from the fact that I'm in midlife, um, you know, having turned 50 and this became very important on my vision board to write this book around midlife. And then I needed to learn a little bit more about it because I, I was just coming into the transition and I was recommended to go and see Chip Conley in Mexico of all places. Uh, what a terrible thing to have to do. But, um, I'm joking. It was absolutely wonderful to be able to get an experience like that. But, but Chip has written um, a book on the concept of, of how do we stay integrated into the working world um, as we, um, you know, get more mature and how do we learn to work with younger people. He's got brilliant concepts like one is called mentoring and a mentor is somebody, it's both a mentor and an intern. So that's a great way that we can learn to work together with younger and more mature people. So I went off to Mexico and I spent an entire week in the most beautiful place on, on a gorgeous beach with Chip and 20 other people were in our cohort. And we spent the week contemplating, reflecting, and designing what we wanted our midlifes to look like. Um, you know, we, from waking up in the morning and baking bread and meditating, to doing reflective work, to going for swims in the sea. And really that, that gave me so many insights and, and very much in the book, I share a lot of the insights that I, I learned from Chip Conley and his work around this, the, the, the being a, a modern elder. And that is his big concept of instead of looking at us getting older, say we're modern elders, because what have we got? We've got this incredible wisdom that we could be sharing with the world. And, and I suppose, Kim, for me, one of the, the great wisdoms we've reached by the time we're 50 is, oh, my goodness, what we should have done when we were 25. So, so I think for me, um, this book, yes, you talk about the midlife moneymaker. But when I was reading this, I thought whether you're 25 or 75, this book is, you know, you should be reading it. And and obviously, we these these ideas are triggered now. There are, you know, we, we're going through this change about what we want our next 10, 15 years to look like. But believe you me, Kim, if somebody at 25 picked up your book and started implementing it um, at that age, they would have, you know, bring that wisdom of the elder to the younger. I think it would be very, very powerful. So if any of you are on this uh, on this call, um, on this, this uh, webinar, and you are either younger or you know younger people, I would say that you should definitely recommend this book to them as well. Now, um, we're going to start going through, I'm going to be asking Kim my questions that I want to ask her, but you are more than welcome to ask Kim questions or you can post them to me in the chat group. Just post your questions in and we want to make this. Kim's here. She's an amazing mind uh, when it comes to money and use the opportunity. So please post your questions. But just to give you a little bit of, of uh, background um, to, to Kim as well, is that I met Kim... Kim, I met you for the first time on the speaker's circuit. I'd just written a book and you'd written a book and we, we, you had written this book, oh, I know this coming out of my uh, retirement. And I love this book. Uh, I read it um, from cover to cover and then I bought it, I think that Christmas, everybody that I knew who was close to retirement or in retirement received it as their Christmas present. Guess what everyone's getting this Christmas? Well, I hope so. I need those book sales, Maya. <laughs> And um, but so retirement and, and and that was it was the title it had meant in it. So you've always spoken about the meaning of money, not about just money in an, in and of itself. But what is different? You know, what made you write midlife money makeover as opposed to retirement? What brought you, you know, to 10, 15 years earlier in a sense of someone's life cycle? So I think there were a number of reasons. Um, the big one is, I mean, for those of you who know me, know that I work with clients in, at, or near retirement. And I was getting the message 
over and over again. If only I'd started doing this earlier. If only I thought about what I wanted to achieve earlier. So I, I knew inside me that, that we needed to share for, with a younger audience. Also, I think I was seeing many of the clients that I was working with whose relationship with money was often sabotaging what they wanted to achieve with their lives. It wasn't that they didn't have enough, but there was a lot of fear and there was a lot of beliefs that they formed about it and, and, and they didn't know how to change it. So that was a big area that I wanted to address. And the third area that I really thought was important for the new book was around self-awareness. I um, I realized that you cannot make any change in your life. None of us like change. And you cannot make the change unless you've got the self-awareness. And, and that, you know, was, was really what I knew needed to be in the new book. So for me, the way I, I did it was I went out to learn. So I had a lot of mentors. I mean, this stuff for me is a, a lot of uh, work, learnings that I've learned from other people that I share. First of all, the clients and, and many of the clients are on the call tonight the clients that, that that share their stories and do their teachings. But then I had Dr. Brené Brown, who I, I, I did work with and learned about self-awareness and I shared through the book. I had David Kruger, who shared about <clears throat> how to get a new money story, which I share in the book as well. And then I had the work that I was learning from Chip Conley. So all of that needed to come out in the book. And hence why the book is about midlife. Hmm. And you know, in the book, you you, you there was something that, there were just some really comments that just resonated with me. And and obviously, as a personal financial journalist, I get a lot of similar questions and people asking these these questions. And um, you were saying the most common one is, "Do I have enough to retire on?" Um, and and I think your response was, you know. Uh, you know, first of all, how how much is enough? But the other thing you said is have a plan, not a string of investments. And this idea comes through strongly in the book is about planning, having goals, having visions. And I see that all the time. People write to me and they say, I have 50,000 Rand. Where should I invest it? Well, what's the 50,000 Rand for? Is it for next year? Is it for 10 years time? What is it? How does it form part of your portfolio? So maybe just you know, talk a little bit about how, how important it is to plan for life. So my, I'm a big planner. I mean, again, anybody who, who has heard me speak, has written in, read any of my articles will know that I think planning is essential. If you, if you don't know what you're trying to achieve, you know, like, like how, how can you go out there and achieve it? And I, I mean, I, I came into the financial planning industry quite late in the sense that it was a second career. I came in at the age of 37. Um, but I, and I came in with a mission in, in, in for me. I wanted to help people understand that when they were being sold products and when they had a string of investments, that wasn't what was needed in order to to get them the life that they wanted to have. What was needed was that they had both a life plan and a financial plan and an estate plan. And if they had all these elements, they, they, they then were on the right track to being able to, to, to lead the life that they wanted to lead. And, and, and hence why, yes, I, I don't um, agree just with looking at one aspect. It's a little bit like a puzzle. If you've got all these pieces of a puzzle and you don't have the picture, you kind of move the pieces around. And it's like that for anybody, whatever age you're starting to look at your investments. If you're pushing pieces around without knowing what the picture is of what you're trying to achieve, you're working, for me, a little bit uphill. So if you, you take the groundwork and you get the picture right, then the, then the, the investing part and, and the actual other part, it comes easily because you know what it is you're trying to achieve. And, you know, in your book, you spoke about, you know, being your money fears being real. You said, of course, do I have enough? You know, is this what if all of those? And you said, but you can't answer if you have enough if you don't know what the money is for. And you talk a lot about having a vision board. Um, and I also found this really a, a very interesting concept. So maybe just talk a little bit about your vision board. I, I've got a great image here of your vision board, which I want to share with everybody. Um, just the way you deal with your kind of picture and, and your world. Okay, so, so by now, not everybody has a picture. Um, I have a picture that's put up in my home for all my family to see. Um, they, they know what it is that for me is important. So at the beginning of the year, I like to start out with the vision board of what I want to achieve for that year. 
just let me say, I don't always get everything that's on my vision board. And sometimes it's not the right time for that to happen. And potentially it would happen in, in years to come. But I know at, at all stages what's important because we're all in the same place where all the urgent stuff keeps coming to us, coming to us. And, and, and I, I like it as a reminder. So it's up in a prominent place for me that I, that I know. I have my family who are my accountability partners around it. So just on that, uh, I mean, every year for the last four and a half years, my children have been writing in my Christmas card, Mom, I do hope this year your book comes true. Mom, I really <laughs> hope this year your book comes true because you're putting it out there. And, and, and but, but in that way, you're also getting the encouragement. And I think that you're also teaching your children something about the fact that you're important. And I think then for themselves, they also realize that their plans are important. So, yeah, it, it's something that for me is really important. And, and it comes really to that this whole concept in the book where I'm saying, you know, get clear on, on what it is you're trying to achieve. Um, and, and in that way, you're, you're, on a, you're on a path to getting it as opposed to looking back in years to come and saying, if only, I really wish my life had had that in it. You know, it's it's very interesting, Kim, because I wrote um, I read a read a, a column by Carl Richards, who's also uh, he writes on money, and I'm, I'm quite a big follower of his. And he wrote a column that said, um, "What do you what conversation do you want to have with yourself in three years' time? If you had to meet yourself in three years' time and have tea, what would you like to tell yourself you had done in the last three years?" And I actually wrote a three year a three-year list, bucket list or whatever you want to call it. Um, actually, it wasn't a bucket list. It was just the things that I wanted to have done in those three years. And I actually forgot about it, and I stuck it in my drawer. And I was cleaning out two years later, and I came across it. And I couldn't believe about 80% of it I had actually achieved. Um, and then I thought I was so excited by this concept that I thought, hold on a second, let me do like one for just one year and see what I can get done in one year. Well, that was January 2020. So in January 2020, I wrote a new list. And guess what? Like very little of that list happened during 2020 because we know what happened with COVID. But what I realized is that exactly that, I had given myself three years, not one year. And it's the three-year plans that I think are more realistic. And they, you start making choices and decisions that, that actually lead you lead you there so I agree with you I think this idea of of sort of one-year plans can can be derailed and if they get derailed you may feel like a bit upset about it or whatever but maybe if you give yourself permission to take time it's simply a direction you're going in so my just one thing I'd like to add on that is is, is these vision boards are not for us to be hard on ourselves they're not and and, and even doing the book and doing all of this planning it, it, it's not to if you don't achieve it, then then you you haven't been a success. It's really just something to support you to to help you understand what it is you 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 want for your life, mm -hmm. and 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 that's why the reflection time of, of working out what it is you want is actually the most important part in order to to get this right. And I have a personal mantra that I tell myself all the time, especially now since COVID. I mean. I think it's so important for us to, to be kind to ourselves and have self-compassion. And I, I, I literally tell myself the same sentence every single day, Kim, you are doing the best you can. And, and I think that, that, that it's so important for all of us because otherwise, yeah, we might just do this and this, this work might make us feel worse about ourselves. That is absolutely not the intention behind it. It's actually more important for us to, to, to be, be doing it with self-compassion to ourselves. And on saying that, though, you know, you have this great, I loved your midlife myths. I think you, how many of them are then the end? There are quite a few, a couple of mid midnight myths, I think 11 or so. Midnight. And uh, long Midnight, um, <laughs> midnight myths, you've got 13 of them, I suppose, bad luck, 13. But myth number eight, you can simply attract the money in life you want. And I think that that's important. So, yes, you have your vision board, but just having the vision board isn't enough. You, you, it's almost setting a, a thought and, and, and you've got to work towards it as well. You've still got to have some intent behind it. 
My, that's so true because, you know, many people say, you know, um, I'm going to put it out there and, and then it's going to happen. But, but it, it's really not like that. It, it's a lot of hard work. It, it's changing your habits. It's changing your mindsets in order for it to happen. So, so when you do a plan or when you do a vision board or, or when you write it all up, that's the intention. Then you have to put the action steps in place. And all those action steps are what take you to, to the outcome of, of, of actually living the life that you want to live. And um, I, Kim, I'm, I'm going to, 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 to give you a bit of a curveball here because I, um, <laughs> I was yeah. speaking to someone today um, who, is, who couldn't be on, this, on, the, on the call today, but he's, I promised him I'm recording it because I'm going to ask his question. And I thought his question, he didn't ask me the question. He was having a conversation with me. And I said to him, hold on a second. You've got to change your money mindset. You need to listen tonight. And what his thing was, he was midlife. And he said, I really want to have a sabbatical. I, I would love to take six months off. Um, he has his own business. Um, he's successful. He has his own business. But the problem is, is that if he leaves his business, he doesn't earn. So there's that complication. He's got teenage kids. But his attitude was, it'll never happen. I can't ever have the sabbatical because I have my own business, because I have teenage children, because so he set up these hurdles. So what advice would you give to every single person on here who's saying, I would like to do something, but I can't. Well, first of all, it's how badly do you want to do it? I mean, for many people, they, they say what they want to do, but, but do they really want to do it? So, so it's to get come clear, clear on that as well. Um, once you've done that, it, it, it's not as easy as, and, and, and I think that's why I love my role as a financial planner, because as a financial planner, I've got insights into people's financial situations, and I have the coaching experience to be able to, to coach them to what they really want to achieve, because at the same time, I'm not one of these people who just say, give up everything, go or follow your dreams, and then come back later, and you've got to deal with the consequences of what you've done. So for me, for him, it would be really important that he um, had his plan a look at his financial standing and this dream that he wants to have, because there is no ways that he can't not have it if he, if he puts the right steps into place. It might not be now in the next six months. It might be in the next year, because we no longer have to live by this old-fashioned way of thinking that at the age of 60 or 63, we're going to stop working. All the money we've accumulated is then going to pay for us to live. That is gone. That is, is not possible for people. We are going to be living up until we are 100. So for me, my, what I would be encouraging him, first of all, is his it's so important that he's living and not just existing. So if he needs that six months sabbatical to reset, it's to use some of that income or some of those investments that he's got to do that, but have a plan that he knows he's coming back to work. It might not be in the same field, but know that he's coming back because the longer we work is the longer that our investments can then grow. So he will be making a choice of saying, I'm prepared to work longer because it's so important to me that in my 50s, I get to go and have this experience and I maybe get to reinvent myself and I get to reinvent my life. And, and I think he would be giving great um, insights to his children as well in saying that, you know what, you're not the only people that are important. I'm also important and my, my dreams and goals are also important. And I think it's very important is to have that um, discussion with your family, to be honest and open and have share vision boards and see where your value systems are. Um, but Kim, in your book also, now, you know, going talking about that working, working longer, um, there's a great quote uh, that you quote someone who says, most work is knowledge work and knowledge workers are not finished at 40 years on the job. They are merely bored. And this is about this world we live in. We're not working as, 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 as laborers in a field who, whose bodies are going to expire, where it's our minds. And we know that our minds deteriorate if we stop working. And you're, you talk a lot about working less for longer. And maybe that's what it is. This is part of the money makeover is to say, how do I maybe in the next, instead of sitting with this idea of 65, I retire, you're saying, why don't I take a bit of a break now? reinvent myself, understand that that will draw down a little bit on my capital, but then I understand that I'm going to work till 70. 
So Maya, that's definitely one way you can look at it. And another way, because not everybody has the privilege where they can take the six months or the year off to have the sabbatical. Um, but do you know that even going away for a weekend, even doing the work that's in this book, gives you a time where you can actually be looking at a parallel life. So you can be thinking about and making small changes to your life. And, and it's incredible how that thing gives you the life you want. The worst thing, and, and I think I see it happening so many times, is maybe what, what you were hearing this today when you went in, in, into the optometrist, was, was really around, um, I can't do it, I can't do it. So people kind of say, I can't, mindset. They then don't do the change because change is hard, change is difficult. And then they come and, uh, I don't know, sometimes they come to a stage where they might be disappointed. Sometimes they might be depressed. Sometimes they might have health issues. And it's because they are, are feeling resentful that they didn't get to lead the life that they wanted to lead. And, and that's why I think it's, a, it, it, it's definitely a conversation around either parallel life or it's taking a clean break in order to come back. But when I when people do take that clean break, one piece of encouragement I always have is don't take it too long I've also seen people take it too long and then they don't have the confidence to come back in so there, there is a fine line between taking time out and, and not taking too long so that you lose your confidence and and I want to go also you, you talk about um you know this changing your mindset um and and just doing the new the sort of new messaging um you you use a journal you actually have a journal that goes with your book um, so just explain to people how they would use this journal um, if they, you know, when, when they get your book, how would they use this to help them on this money journey? Okay, so, so Maya, in the book, so the, the book is really divided up into me sharing insights that I've learned, um, client stories. So there's real stories. These are not stories that are like from catalogs that you that you think you, you should be reading. These are real stories of clients that they've actually, what they've gone through. And they've been amazing the way they've just shared and, and, and shared, you know, been, let me put them in the book. And then the third important part is the, the, the exercises. They're called midlife reflections. There's over 30 of them. And um, so they, there's different ways. So one way is you can, you can read the book, get the insights and, and, and write in, in a journal next to you. I also have them on my website. So all the reflections, you can go onto my website and get a free PDF of all the reflections so that you can work through it yourself. Or um, I had the help of, of, of Claire putting together a beautiful journal. That's, your, that's a journal that you write and that you come back to and all the, all the exercises are in there and more. And, and, and it's, it's kind of a working document because my, my book has not been written with the intention that you're going to read this book and then you're going to know and you're going to be able to do it. It is a, 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 a for me, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a journey and it's, it's one where you're going to read, you're going to write down. And then what I find happens is because you've read it, you'll see opportunities out there and opportunities will present or you'll get ideas and you'll think and you'll come back and you'll put it back in your journal. So I think the journal really accompanies it nicely um, so that you, that you can do the work that's needed to do the change, um, to do this money makeover. And, and really it's what you said in the beginning. And I've heard this from a lot of people now that have read the book. It doesn't matter if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, you can still come and do this work because if you're feeling like you need some change, then, 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 then the actual process is ideally designed for any age. And, and Kim, you know, you make, I, I was laughing as you were talking about any age, you can change your money mindset. And money mindsets can be very dangerous things because we set ourselves up and you talk about it in your book about the poverty mindset. You can have somebody who has money and still has a poverty mindset. Um, and one of the big challenges I find, um, you know, as, as people get older and they now need to start drawing down on their income, they find that quite difficult. And my mother, I had to have a conversation with my mom the other day because we went to see her financial planner and we, we, I was so excited. I said, mom, you see, you've got enough money till you're 100, till you're 100 and there'll still be some money left. You're absolutely fine. And she said, oh, but it won't be enough to leave you and your brother. And I'm like, leave us what? Like what? No, but an inheritance. And I'm like, mom, I'm not worried about an inheritance. You must live your life. And, and I think trying to encourage somebody and, and how do you 
balance as 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 a parent this need to look after your kids i mean for heaven's sake i'm already 50 i turned 50 this year my mother is going to be 100 in a, in 20 years time i mean she's worrying about leaving me an inheritance and not about living her full life well i must add you to my mother lives in a is a is a, a vivacious person and she does live a good life but i wanted to say to her Stop worrying about the electricity bill. Put the heater on higher. Don't try and leave my brother and I an inheritance. So how does one, I suppose, you know, from the opposite side, encourage people to also, um, you know, change their money mindsets, whether it's a poverty mindset or a spendthrift mindset? And what are the mindsets that you've come across? Maya, there's quite a lot in what you've just, you know, what what you've just shared. And, And maybe just from a point of view, Listening to what Chip said, it, it's as much about, I mean, if, if, if money isn't your friend, it takes as much energy as having money to be your friend. Mm. So it, it is thinking around where did that mindset come from and saying, well, does it serve me to have that mindset? I see a big thing working with people. It's fear. I mean, there's a huge fear about running out and, 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 it, and it's real. It, it feels so real, even though you can prove to them over and over and over again that they're going to have enough. That fear um, is something that, that, that you need to have a discussion about quite often and because, because it's so real. Um, you know, the, this whole thing of leaving our children our, our, our money, and I mean, I have some of my children on the call, which, and they're not going to love what I'm going to say, but I'm very much of the opinion, and they know it, I'm very much of the opinion that I want to have experiences with my children. I want to make memories with my children. So I prefer to have the balance between um, us doing experiences and getting to, to, to live a life together where I'm creating a role model to them, an example to them. And actually, they get to live the the legacy of building up their own wealth and their own investments. So, again, I um, cannot be prescriptive. I I have a a general rule when I work with people that um, their perspective is the most important perspective, not not my own perspective. I do challenge thinking all the time. I encourage um, people when they do have enough to pay for their their grandchildren's school fees to to give with a generous heart if if they or the generous hand if they have it but obviously not at the expense I also get to work with people who are so generous to their children that they're going to run out and I think you know it, it becomes when, when when you don't know how to say no to your children and you're giving and you're giving and you're giving and then then, then you you don't have enough I think that's also quite serious so it's real conversations it, it's it's being honest with your family where you are again nobody wants to talk about money so they don't want to tell their children all of this even that whole story of writing wills and keeping it a secret until you're gone I think all of that is outdated and and, and not something that 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 I think should be encouraged anymore and Kim, you touch on such an important point about supporting adult children. It is seems to be a big phenomenon nowadays, um, more than ever. And do you think it is that it's children are harder, it's harder for them to get leave the nest? Or is there something else at play here? And how does one as a parent, I mean, if you, your kid's 30 and says, I'm moving back home, could you pay my medical aid and my car insurance? I mean, where do you draw the line? So again, when it's our, when it comes to our children, we, none of us are really good at saying no. Um, we, we're just not. Um, but at the same time, I think it's really important to be putting the boundaries in place or, or we're not teaching our children anything. Because one day when we can't, if we haven't given them the skills, then, 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 it, then, it, then it's really serious. So I, I think, again, it's having, I mean, I know I've said it before, but it's having the conversation with them, making them aware of what your financial standing is, teaching them the right ways, teaching them how important it is that they do pay themselves first, that they are putting money away, that they do have their investments, and, 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 and that they also, I mean, my big one is encouraging my children to, I call it earning that play check to be going out there and doing work that they absolutely love. So for me, that's been always important. It, it, it's been um, kind of, yeah, I, I'm chatting about that, encouraging that. And, and, and in that way, hopefully we won't have to support our children. But I meet many, many people that do have to. And, and, and you know what? We will, but we must be aware of, of, of if we're doing it, what, how, what is that doing to our plan long term? And and. What are we doing to our children long term if we're not giving them the tools to be able to do it themselves? 
and again, fitting into that overall plan. So how do I create a money habit, uh, a way that I can continuously save and I get into the habit of saving money? And you actually talk about this, Kim, in your book as well. So uh, um, just to start off with, to, to share that, I think most people don't understand that they have this relationship with money. We, we're not aware of our relationship with money, which is actually one that started before the age of seven, believe it or not. We've, we've formed our relationship with money so early on. Most of us aren't aware we even have a relationship with money. And now we get into our, 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 our adult lives and we start doing what we do. And, 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 and sometimes we, we, we're not aware of, of that we need to be investing or we are aware of it, but it just is not something that we do. So, I mean, my big one, and I talk about it in the book, is to pay yourself first. I mean, I think if that is something that you could start with, it would be definitely to pay yourself first. And that's not with what money's left over at the end of the month. I always hear this. You know, well, if I've got any money left over, I'm going to invest. But, but if you're doing it that way around, then, then everything else is more important than you are. So it would, would definitely be that. Habits are small little things that you do with incremental improvements. It's not this all or nothing. I mean, I've had to, I've been good with money. So I, I had to challenge myself while I was writing the book around the, the, this, this concept of, of other people who might not um, understand how to get the habits right. So I did it around running. I, I wasn't running and I've, I've slowly built myself up. And my big goal was to run, you know, five kilometers in, in under six minutes a kilometer. But I could only do it if I constantly did it. If it was, if I did it once every month, it wasn't going to work. I needed to do it every day and I needed to do it in bite-sized pieces or I was going to give up. Investing is exactly the same. It's not, I have to save everything. It's, I have to save a bit, but I have to do it religiously, constantly, and, and I have to put it, and I mean, for me, it should be on debit orders so that it's not even a question, and, and, and really, it's, it's, it's talking around paying yourself first. Mm. And, and you alluded something very important there, Kim, and um, I actually meant to, to ask you this a little bit earlier, and this was around your money story, and you talk about your money story in the book, and I was identified straight away with it. Um, you and I actually have a very similar money story. And funny enough, we have quite a similar, I think, money mindset as a result of that, which is possibly why we both are in the industries we're in, which is quite, quite an interesting thing as well. Um, but how are money mindsets created? How do we land up with these stories in our minds about money? And they are deep. I mean, you were telling me that you were speaking to someone, a journalist the other day, who said, well, I'll never have money because I'm a journalist. Like, well, like I'm creative. Creators don't have money. How is those, those statements, you know, the, the starving artist, um, and how do these affect our money, our, our relationship with money? So, Maya, we decide early on in our lives. We, we, our parents give us messages. Our friends give us messages. We watch what's going on out there. And we create our own like story. And we have this story that plays in our head year after year, day after day. We all know how this radio station goes in our head. And, and I mean, for this particular journalist, journalist, she chose what her decision was, that she chose to be creative because she didn't believe that you could be creative and have money. So... Again, now, what's the truth to it? So I think it's to take your, 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 your belief around money and say, okay, so first of all, is this true? So really to analyze it and say if it's true. I mean, the big ones I hear, money doesn't grow on trees. Money is the root of all evil. I don't want to have money because money people who've got money are not nice people. But none of that is true. Absolutely none of that is true. And it's then to pull it apart and say, if it hasn't served me up to now, what is the point of me carrying on believing it? And that's where I, I go through a lot of exercises and reflections in the book around this money story. It doesn't have to be the same money story that you're going to push play on year after year after year. What it does take, though, is for you to pause, to actually like tune in, look at it, and then to do some editing, to get rid of some of these beliefs that you've picked up that are not serving you. Edit them out. And then in that way, the next stage you can go forward is to actually play and enjoy what you're doing and, 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 and get some of those right. And guess what? You will fail, but you will go back and you will redo it. Um, it's, the way, it's, it's definitely the awareness around it. And just another question is, how do we raise our children with a healthy money mindset or money story? 
Well, I think how not to is to go to your children every day. I have to go to work because I have to earn money. You don't know how much you cost me. I, I mean, I think a lot of those, I mean, and, and we do it because a, a lot, I mean, if we think about it with, with, with us as, as people, we learn from example, not often what we told, we learn from example. So with our children, I think number one is set a good example. And then number two is have the conversations. I mean, if, if, if our relationship with money is formed by seven, why are we not talking to our children about money? Why are we making it this, this taboo subject? So again, it for me, would, would be bringing it in and then starting with the habits when our children are younger, as opposed to thinking, you know, when, when they're older. And a big thing that I think our generation has done, and I'm talking now for, for people in their 50s, is we've wanted to make it so easy for our children We've, um, you know, we, we've really looked at it and we've said we don't want them to go through the hardship we've gone through. And, and we, we tend to want to give them way too much to, to, so that life's easier for them. And we haven't taught them the resilience that they need in order to cope in the world. And, and it's a hard one. I mean, I'm a mother of three. I've done it. I, I, I you know, I, I question myself often about it. Um, and, and then I have to come back and, 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 and redo it often. Kim? I messed up my son long before the time he was seven, before I realized what I was doing. And I was doing exactly that. We we went through a bad financial patch um, and my husband had just made a choice to leave the company he was with. Um, and we were under a bit of financial pressure and we decided to move to Cape Town, which involved setting our home. And it was just, it was a tight financial time. And I was wandering around saying, we can't afford this. We're not doing extramurals. We don't have money. Da, 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 da. And he burst into tears. He was six years old. And he said, Mommy, are we poor? Are we going to live in a car? Because we, he thought we were getting rid of our house. He didn't have anywhere to live. And I realized what I'd done. So these are very, I've had to do a lot of talking to him since then to explain to him that it's actually all okay. But it is very, we often as parents project so on one level, we're forever trying to protect our children from life. But on the other, we, we, we project all of our fears onto them. And, and I think we just mess them up completely. So I have told him that I have a fund put aside for his psychology, his psychologist that he will need. <laughs> to readjust his feelings and emotions around money. <laughs> and, um, but one of the other things that I do is I do, we do talk about the budget and I've learned to do it in a way that is, and I talk about the positives. I say, well, we're saving for this and we, we're looking to do that and what are our value systems? But one of the things I found, Ken, with we were sitting around a dinner table one day and my sons, I was feeling like terribly guilty. There's a security guard that at that time walked around our neighborhood and, and it was raining and I felt terrible. And I was saying, geez, you know, the guy earns 5,000 rand a month and here he is protecting all these wealthy people's homes. And my kids went, but 5,000 rand, so much money. And I realized then they're not in the world. And so I had to bring them also into the world of reality. And they're, they're older now. I mean, you know, they're not five. So they were teenagers. So I said, well, maybe 5,000 rand a month for a teenager would be a lot of money. But then let's look. What, and I take them shopping and we talk about bills and things and, and, and that kind of stuff. And I think that's important. I think it's also important for kids just as part of life to understand um, actually what you know, what life costs. So it is, for me, a lot of those are the discussions around the table. But that also means making money not a taboo subject and that it's something that you can you can have that conversation around. Absolutely, Maya. And, 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 you, and you know that, I mean, my blog is even called Courageous Currency Conversations where I'm, I'm really encouraging, you know, people of all ages to talk about it. And, you know, on the midlife concept as well, it's if you're in a relationship, um, talk to your partner about it because you don't necessarily want the same things as each other. And I think it's vitally important that you do this work kind of separately and then you come together and, and you talk about it because it's not to say just because you've been married for so many years that you're going to want this chapter to look exactly the same. So again, it, it, it's, it's having that. And, and also, I mean, I find a lot of people can be married for years, but they've never really discussed with each other where they, they, their money um, beliefs came from where their, their money habits have come from and the time when money is spoken about is often when there's a conflict situation and and, and I think that's what's given money a bad name so I, I think you know to, to to have those conversations is really important. But I just wanted to make a comment by the way you're talking about couples um, the big shock you will have if you sit down in your midlife money maker and you do it with your partner, husband and wife, you may discover you want different things. And that can be a little bit of an interesting, and I know many couples where that's happened. So um, 
what 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 they vision their lives to look like going forward could look very different. So I'm just mentioning that at this point. It's maybe good to find out earlier rather than later that you have two very different visions of the future. Um, but let's Maya, see. Just on that note, and maybe just to add that. that I'd I think it doesn't matter that you want something different, but what it is important is that you set the expectations. The more disappointment that I've seen is when people believe that each other wants exactly the same, and then they don't. And then those expectations actually, um, you know, they, they, they upset relationships. So if you know, I think I believe in leading like parallel and coming together, parallel and coming together. So if you want different things, you you, you get to do that but find areas and important that you, you pick up that if there aren't areas that are in common so that you can find areas in common and bring it all together that way. So I've had a question from Di. So Di, you get getting a prize. <laughs> a prize. Well done, Di. You're a brave person. Hello, Kim. How does one link one's money to one's highest purpose? Profound question. What is it's your highest purpose? It's a very profound question, and I might not do justice in this meeting. We could definitely chat about it. I do believe that, um, well, first of all, it's to, to look at your values and to become clear about what your highest values are to you. And if you can become clear of what your highest values are to you, you will know where you are prepared to sacrifice your money. But on, on the purpose front, for me, I have always had the saying um, about I, I, I want to add value to the world. I haven't thought about how I could earn money at any time. I've thought about how I could add value. And in that way, I've been able to get in touch with, with, with my higher purpose. And in that way, I, I've been able to, to live a life where I, I do believe if you're adding value, remember money is just a form of exchange. So you're going to get money for it. And I think too many of us, even going back to children, teach our children to go into certain careers because they're going to be good earners. And, and I think it's just such a wrong message. It's, it's what are your gifts? Where do you want to add value? And, and then you happen to make money. And that's why I mentioned earlier about this play check. If you can be doing what you love and earning money, it, it's just so important. Mm. Well, just on that, I, um, you know Sunel, uh, and, and a friend of mine that we, we both know, she said to me once, she said, when you're doing what you want, what you're meant to do, money will follow. And it was because I made a big career change um, and I made a leap of faith and leaving stockbroking and all the rest of it and doing what I do now. And um, and it is true, you know, you are, when you're doing what you're meant to do, um, money does follow. So now we've got a question from Anton, I think it's Antonio, anyway. More important than preparing for the midlife money makeover and retirement is the psychological preparation and help. These are huge transitions and if not handled correctly can lead to health and relationship problems. How does one prepare mentally for this event? Excellent question. It is an excellent question. And, and I think it's your attitude. So if you go into midlife, so I mean, virtually every radio interview I've had in the last two weeks, they, when they see the word midlife, they refer to the crisis. <laughs> so the first thing they say, well, how do you get through this crisis? And I say, no, 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 that's the problem. It's not a crisis. So if we can start off with a mindset of, of, of looking forward to it, to make it the best chapter, I, I think it, it can really help us. So from a point of view of, of, of thinking about what it is, as opposed to I'm going into this time and I'm getting older, I, I think it can be an incredibly exciting time. I, I personally believe I'm going to leave my best chapter in this time. I've, I've seen many people do it. And, and those that have done it have stayed totally engaged. They've carried on working. They've, they've, they've carried on traveling. Gosh, when we can travel. They've carried on adding value. They've carried on learning. And, and, and I really think we, we're designed as human beings to, to, to be adding value. We're designed as human beings to be connecting with each other. And, and really, so to, the answer is to, to do the preparation work, to think about it, and to find what, what, what excites you. And often in a meeting, I'll say to people, so tell me, what does the next chapter look like? And then I, I actually see on their face this absolute fear. Oh, my gosh, she's going to ask us this question. I mean, how are we going to answer this question? We really don't know. And, 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 and then I say, but, but, but cut yourself some slack. It's a journey and, and, and go out there and try something, see if it fits, if it fits and it's really what you like doing, do more of it. If it's not, get rid of it. And that's why I said there, there's this whole process of pausing, 
editing, like reflecting, editing, and, and then you're able to, to really go out and do this. So it's a journey. Don't try and do it all at once, but put the effort, the cons- concerted effort into designing what it is you're trying to create. I mean, what I can say is this is what the book's designed to do. And I think if you start not on the day you retire, but you start five, ten years before, you start to get excited. You start to realize the opportunities. And I think you just change your mind shift. So I would certainly say that start with the book. That would be my first recommendation. Um, And then, Anthea, how does one overcome the fear of scarcity and embrace the belief in abundance? Brilliant question, because that's one of the things that I've always struggled with. Um, because of my my experience of, of of being left, my father died, left us financially destitute. So we, I've all, you know, I've and I've learned to overcome that. But how does one deal with that money mindset, which is a challenge? So I think it's first of all to recognize it. Um, so if you do have a scarcity mindset, it's to actually say it. I have a scarcity mindset, and and, and I think. It, 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 the first part is to recognize it and, and say, okay, so now that I have the scarcity mindset, how is that scarcity mindset trying to serve me? Because you need to look what the positive intention is of it. And your positive intention, Maya, is you've had it, so you don't want to go back to that same place. So what are you doing about it? And what are the steps you've taken into account? And it's kind of like talking to your two-year-old often because that two-year-old will come up and it, and it, it, it will something will happen. And, and I mean, I, I see it often when the markets are dropping and, 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 and then people get so scared because they're going to have no money. They don't go from all this money, but they go to no money. And what are they going to do? And it's really that fear space. So I think it's been, again, kind to yourself, recognizing it, and then saying to yourself, but quietly, is this really true? Is this reality or is this just belief? And if it's my belief, I would have an accountability partner. If it's not your financial planner, somebody that you speak to that calms you down because you're now emotional, you're going to make the wrong decisions and then just supports you to get through it. I don't think it's something that you can say, oh, well, I'm going to change it and I'm never going to go back to it. I believe it is in you. It lives with you. You need to um, to give it its space, but realize that it's only a belief. It's not really reality. And, and I think that's the way you can move through it a lot easier than denying it. Hmm. Absolutely. And I think with any of these things, it's just recognizing it, taking a deep breath, saying, this is just my, you know, this is, is my, that, that inner voice is not real um, and overcoming it. Well, I just want to end off by saying I absolutely can see by all the little tabs in the book. I have absolutely loved it. Um, I've been, been working through it. I've already started having discussions with my husband as a result of it, the poor man. And um, I really, guys, you know, if you, one of the best ways to use this book as well, if even if you have a, a financial planner, is go through it and take these kind of the, the questions and the insights that you get from the book and use them and help your financial planner to help you as well to create an amazing uh, plan that just, that meets all your needs. You've been listening to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast, featuring the contributors of the City Press personal finance pages.